When you have the right recon process in place, it's easy to stay ahead of the game. Put your recon on cruise control today with iRecon, the solution built directly in Viato that obliterates recon inefficiencies and accelerates your used car sales. Visit viato.com. Welcome to Daily Drive. For Wednesday, December 7th, 2022, I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Jake Neer, in for Kellen Walker. Today on the show, we're going to have to wait a bit longer for Apple's self-driving car. Funders try to avoid a creditor brawl if Carvana goes broke. And Honda is once again a top five dealer favorite. Plus, part two of our exclusive conversation with Ford CEO Jim Farley. I think everyone's going to realize this ICE business isn't so bad. and We shouldn't be in a rush just to have press releases that we're getting out and we're going all electric. It makes no sense to me. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Apple is scaling back its self-driving ambitions for a planned electric vehicle, and the company is postponing the car's target launch date by about a year to 2026. That's according to a Bloomberg News report citing people with knowledge of the matter. The car project called Titan inside the company has been in limbo for the past several months. Apple executives are grappling with the reality that their vision for a fully autonomous vehicle without a steering wheel or pedals isn't feasible with current technology. In a significant shift for the project, sources say the company is now planning a less ambitious design that will include a steering wheel and pedals and will only support full autonomous capabilities on highways. Some of Carvana's largest creditors have signed a pact binding them to act together in negotiations with the struggling used vehicle retailer. They include Apollo Global Management and Pacific Investment Management. The group of funds holds around $4 billion of Carvana's unsecured debt, or around 70% of the total outstanding. It's a movement to prevent the kind of nasty creditor fights that have complicated other debt restructurings in recent years. The agreement will last a minimum of three months, people with knowledge of the matter told Bloomberg. Carvana has seen its stock plunge 97 percent this year because of investor concerns over the retailer's long-term prospects. Concerns about the economy and rising interest rates have lowered franchise dealers' expectations for the upcoming retail environment, despite improved new vehicle inventory. That's according to the latest quarterly index survey from Cox Automotive. Results from Cox's fourth quarter dealer sentiment index show franchise dealers polled have record low expectations for their area's vehicle market in three months. The score of 48 is down 21 points from a year earlier and 11 points from the third quarter of 2022. It's the first score below 50 since Cox began the survey in the second quarter of 2017. Independent dealerships' expectations for the future also reached a new low with a score of 39. In a separate retail survey, Honda has regained its place among dealers' top five brands. That's according to the National Automobile Dealers Association's Dealer Attitude Survey from this summer. Honda had slipped to number six in the winter 2022 results, which was its first time out of the top five since 2015. An auto supplier, Borg Warner, will spin off its fuel systems and aftermarket segments into a separate publicly traded company. 
After the spinoff, the legacy Borg Warner would consist of two units, its electric propulsion and drivetrain division and air management segment. The combined company employs roughly 49,000 workers in 22 countries. The move is designed to untether the company's growing electric vehicle business from its legacy internal combustion engine units as automakers continue to double down on an EV future. The company says the tax-free spin-off is intended to be completed in late 2023. Following the completion, current Borg Warner shareholders would own shares in both companies. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, this news about Apple delaying its autonomous car seems to be sort of fitting into this pattern we've seen lately in the AV world. What do you think this delay says or maybe doesn't say about the future of autonomous driving? It doesn't say we're going to have self-driving cars in our in our driveways anytime soon. <laughs> that's for sure. You know, it like you said, it, it definitely fits into a pattern. We've seen a lot of companies have to scale back their ambitions for self-driving cars. Like this has been epic blow to Uber and Lyft and Tesla as well. But uh, where we are seeing the development really focus is on trucks that can move goods, maybe more at night when there's less traffic, maybe just on the highway with a human to drive them to the highway and off the highway, trying to figure out ways to simplify the process. And then, of course, just scaling down and, and focusing more on advanced driver assistance systems rather than full automation. Of course, Ford was also heavily invested in Argo AI, which not only scaled back, but just shut down. So that was another uh, piece of big news that we've seen recently on this. And coming up in part two of our exclusive conversation with Ford CEO Jim Farley, you'll hear some of his thoughts about how the automaker is viewing autonomous driving and software after the fall of Argo AI, plus much more. That's next on Daily Drive. Warning, your reconditioning process needs attention. Unexpected shortages and delays can throw off even the most routine recon work, slowing your sales and eating into your bottom line. Identify and fix reconditioning inefficiencies to turn your inventory faster with iRecon. This reconditioning solution, built directly in V-Auto, keeps you in control of your service department and puts your recon on cruise control. With real-time alerts and reports, iRecon helps you get ahead of potential issues before they become costly problems. You'll be able to track who's doing the work and how long tasks are taking, see the status of any vehicle in an instant, and make adjustments where needed. And it's all done in an easy-to-use dashboard you can customize to fit your workflow. Obliterate inefficiencies and accelerate your used car sales only with iRecon. Run your personal recon diagnostics with us today and put your process on cruise control. Slate Money is a weekly roundup of the most important stories from the world of business and finance. Hosted by Felix Salmon, Elizabeth Spires, and me, Emily Peck. Confused by crypto? Can't keep up with the metaverse? Wondering why the price of just about everything keeps rising? The Slate Money podcast is here for you. Listen to Slate Money every Saturday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Jake Neer. Yesterday, we brought you the first part of our conversation with Ford CEO Jim Farley from Automotive News Congress in Detroit. 
In that part of the interview with publisher Casey Crane, Farley talked about news that almost two-thirds of Ford's dealer network has agreed to its controversial EV program requirements and about the automaker's big hopes for its commercial vehicle unit. Today, we're bringing you the second half of that conversation, which covers Farley's take on the future of EVs and ICE vehicles, as well as his thoughts on automated driving now that Argo AI has shut down. Here's that part of the conversation. When you think about lightning, you want lightning to be on top. What does lightning need to do? What do you guys have to fix uh, to be as competitive as, as you I'm are? I'm so the- glad you asked this question because it's almost like everyone's press releases of how many millions of EVs are going to sell is like the destination, the second inning. The second inning story is going to be about profit. Yeah. It's going to be how many you can make, how much money can you make? And when you look at profitable EVs in the second cycle, which we're deep into the development now, thanks to Doug and a lot of the new talent we have, it is all about battery size. Like, do you want to spend $400 more on the braking system to save $900 on the size of the, bra- uh, size of the battery? Yes, let's do that. Do you want the aerodynamicist to have the biggest say in how a vehicle looks, especially uh, a Lightning? Uh, the answer is yes. Do you need deployable aero? Maybe, Um, because everything will allow you to shrink that battery size. And if you don't shrink the battery size, you are not gonna make 8% margin. And I'm not not holding my team. 8%? 8% without any software, without any credits, 8% on the vehicle. That is gonna be something with a 15, 20,000 hour battery. So for us, we measure everything now and every decision we make on engineering on cost for an EV around the size of the battery, everything. And so, what, you know, paint that profitability picture. Uh, Mark Stewart was here saying uh, 25 new EVs next year, across all of them, they'll be profitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, every, uh, so I think as far as I know, we're one of the few manufacturers that's actually going to report our profits. <laughs> Not like, well, trust us, it's embedded in the numbers, but you know, like, okay, so how are you allocating your engineering? How are you allocating your labor cost? I mean, you don't know. You will not know. At four, you will know. Uh, In January, everyone will know how much we're making or losing, what our contribution margin. The the walk from, because we're number two now in the U.S., to go from number two, but to go to two million and make money and make like 8%, it's something our industry's never done other than Tesla. Uh, and Tesla has never gotten to two million. So to do that, you need a lot of things. You need a very efficient distribution system. Okay, you cannot afford to have all this inventory lying around. Very little inventory because it costs everyone a lot of money. And we split it all so we don't measure it. But when you measure it, it's a lot of money. Um, massive uh, simplicity on the vehicle. So like half the fasteners, the labor content will have to be dramatically reduced have to have a very as small as possible battery, even if you have to invest in other areas. And, and I think the engineering know-how to build a vehicle that simple is something Henry Ford would have loved to be part of um, because it's, it feels like, for me, like a new engineering paradigm that we're entering now because the vehicles have to be that simple to make money, real money. I think there's a few. Which is also easier to do when you're starting from a blank sheet of paper. Yes. You need to have LFP, battery technology. You can't just have expensive, you know, NCM cells. You have to give customers, some customers, you know, lower range, lower cost batteries. 
There's a, there's a whole mix of profit drivers that will take the industry through next spring uh, after we level set everyone on our contribution margins and our total profitability. But we've been working for more than two years now on the second cycle of products. No one's seen any of them. And they are completely different, like fasteners. You don't think about fasteners. We have a bracket department at Ford. Like, there are a lot of engineers who just make brackets. There are no brackets going to be in our second cycle. We cannot afford any bracket team at, at Ford. I've never heard anyone so excited about commercial vehicles and brackets. I love because, it. Well, because our ice business, we put brackets everywhere for sound deadening, for engineering changes, and we can't afford that. They waste, you know, they're wasteful. Um, we're looking at fasteners the same way. Rivets. Yeah, fasteners should have multiple jobs, not just one job. Um, anyways, we'll get into it in, in May. But I think what I would say is the second inning is like the first inning. It's not like, hey, Jim, are you number two in the US in EV sales? That's cool, but I want to make money. And that's a different inning. It's a different kind of product, too. Yeah. I think we all like that inning better. Yeah, me yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. um, you, you talked a little bit about uh, software today. You know, when you think about the role, and obviously everything's evolving very quickly right now. Yes. Argo AI. Yes. Played a role early yes. on. Yes. Is it get absorbed? Is it about bringing that talent in house? Uh, how do you look at that when you think about you know trying to stay bleeding edge, cutting edge, uh, in a company like Ford? Well, I'd say you know like. In the smartphone era, we knew like listening to music on your phone was one of the first shippable software. I could tell you right now, we know kind of the first three software bundles that we can ship to a car. And they're not what we thought. We thought it was going to be infotainment or no. I don't think you make any money on that stuff. We lost that battle 10 years ago. It's level two, level three ADAS. Mm -hmm. People are really willing to pay a lot of time, uh, money for that and, and the stress relief of taking your hands off the wheel and even the time back, unbelievable. I mean, we will never see pricing power uh, like we will see when level three gets democratized. The second one is productivity for pro, which we're well down on that road. I mean, it's unbelievable how fast our software is, is growing for commercial and that's applicable to retail customers. Now, like prognostics, does any retail customer not wanna know what's gonna fail in their vehicle. The pro customers will pay a lot for that now. The retail customers will love prognostics. You know, you have to design a software-enabled vehicle to, to predict failure on every component. And, and people will be excited about that, so productivity. The third one we think is safety and security. Like, you know, if my kid goes out and takes my car without me knowing it, I want video. I don't want video of just my ring. Uh, on front porch, I want it in my car. I want oh, there to be an accident. I want you know all that video sent to my insurance company. So I think safety and security and video content will be the third. And the most important thing is that you have to have a fully updatable vehicle. Uh, and so our FMV4, our, our fully updatable vehicle, will be coming out in a couple of years. I've seen other companies delay until the end of, of the decade. We're not going to. That's why I recruited Doug, um, many reasons. But for this, we want to be a leader in a fully updatable vehicle where the software is written by Ford and we direct source the components. And so that, that to me is where we're really focused right now. 
And for Argo, when I sold my Prius at Toyota, you know, I left. I went to the dealership. I sold my Prius, and it had an HOV sticker on it. It was worth five grand more than the white Prius without it. If people were willing to pay five grand to get an HOV lane for five minutes save, what are they going to pay for 45 minutes of hands-off driving? A lot. So I'm going to take my best technologists. I'm going to take them from Argo, and we're going to put them in our level three development. And we want to be one of the first companies to do that really well, uh, because I think that's one of the three. Um, you mentioned Doug's name quite a few times yeah. while we've been sitting up here. Uh, I, I know there's uh, a story or two out there about you courting him and getting <laughs> him to come to Ford. Can you, can you share any of that journey with us? Well, I, pr I pretty quickly realized that it wasn't how many software people you have. It's like, do you have the very best? The embedded system of taking it back, all those controllers back inside the company and writing all that software and making that zonal electric architecture work, there's only a few people on Earth that have done it, especially in a car. So I got the list together, <laughs> and I started to like list of, literally list the people who've written for a car, you know, a zonal electric architecture and all the embedded software mostly. And then I got the list together, and Doug could keep coming up over and over. Oh, he was at Tesla. He was at Apple. And then I learned about his history, and I was like, I got to meet this guy. I'm, I'm not going to recruit him. He'll never come to Ford, but I just want to meet him <laughs> to interview him. Like, do you, do you know someone else who could do this? And we started talking, and it was four months, five months, talking every week, three, four times. Um, I flew to California many weekends um, by myself just to interview him. He, he owned a Porsche GT3. I had my Mustang. You know, he came to Laguna Seca. I mean, he's a car person, has a Packard. And, uh, and he that, was comfortable where he was. Yeah, he loved Apple, and he loved what he did at Tesla. And so it was a long process. And then finally, a friend of mine said, why don't you just ask him if he's willing to come to Ford? I'm like, really? <laughs> and so I called him. I said, would you, you, know, would you consider coming to Ford? And he goes, maybe. And then we got serious. And... Um, there you go. It was, it was really important because what I've learned in software, it's not how many people you have, it's do you have the A players because the A players will get other A players. You don't want B players on software. You want A players. Speaking of A players, um, everyone's got a ton of new product coming out. Yes. Those rollouts are so important. Yes. Mark Stewart this morning was talking about new RAM coming out, and they yeah. got to get that Can't one Can't wait right. to see that launch at CES. Yep. And they got to get that right. Yep. A uh, couple of hiccups with you guys along the way. Sure. Uh, how do you address those things now, especially in the talent war, uh, to make sure you guys are set up to hit all of these the right way? You mean for launches in general or for EV? Because they're kind of different. Launches in general, yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we have our, my biggest priority at the companies is quality. I mean, with all this fancy new stuff, it's great, but we are, we are like, we are not okay. <laughs> and we're going to fix our costs and quality. And no one is bigger than, than fixing them. I don't care who they are. We're going to fix these two problems. And launch is a big deal. And if we need to delay launches and take our time to verify the engineering's been done right, we will. Right, guys? <laughs> and, uh, These poor guys. So, no, because we're in the middle of, of those discussions, launching an automotive product. I mean, look at what Elon said. He's new to the industry. He'd never faced anything like it. 
Um, it's very, very difficult what we do. It's very, very difficult. And um, so I, I think there's no bigger priority for me. It's the first thing I start every meeting. It's the first thing I report to the board. It's, um, it's, it's the most important thing for us. And I think it's going to take time. You, you don't lose your lead on quality overnight. Um, and you don't get it back because it's supply chain, it's engineering, it's manufacturing, it's all of it. There was a, a media brand that ran a story over the weekend about selling off some real estate. Uh, I think you guys have sold 20-something properties over the last couple of years. Just up the street, you got the train station going. Yeah, it's, I don't know. it's coming close. It's coming Getting close. close. What does Ford's footprint look like as you think about new strategies, uh, you know, again, uh, new technologies, global footprints, you know, all these things are changing very rapidly. What role does the train station play and how do you think about your footprint? You know, one thing that hasn't been really reported on Ford is what a dramatic change our footprint is going through right now. Our entire product development center is being rebuilt from ground up. You just go to Dearborn, you'll see it. It's completely new. We, did, we haven't touched that place since the 50s. Um, the train station is going in, but it's a whole campus around Roosevelt Park, um, and most of it is non-Ford. So the role there is to get really good software people and non-Ford people. Um, and I think our footprint as a whole, it's going to change a lot, maybe in location. But the exciting thing is as we insource gearboxes and motors, someday inverters, um, you know, we're, we're transitioning brownfield manufacturing powertrain plants over to these new components. And, um, but we'll have a mix. You know, it's kind of funny. In the second inning, I think everyone's going to realize this ice business isn't so bad. And we shouldn't be in a rush just to have press releases that we're getting out and we're going all electric. It makes no sense to me. I don't understand why OEMs are student body left. You know, we have a growing, now in our case, we shrunk our ice business down to really passion brands. I don't want any Me Too generic products at Ford. So Broncos and Mavericks and, you know, Super Duties and Mustangs, that's Ford. And, and so our ice business is going to grow, I think, for a while. And then, and then the mass adoption of EV will come and we'll see how far that comes. But it ain't coming to a Super Duty anytime soon. You're towing a fifth wheel in, in Wyoming. A, a battery electric vehicle is a terrible vehicle for you. Maybe a hydrogen fuel cell will work, but not a battery. The batteries will be $50,000, and the thing will only go 200 miles. It doesn't make any sense. So in our case, Broncos, a lot of these vehicles, the heavy-duty use work, work cycle, work statement for the customer is, is still, ICE is pretty compelling. People don't know this, but we're number two in the U.S. in HEV. To Toyota, Ford is, but we don't we don't have it on the same vehicles. Our best-selling HEV is F one fifty because it'll power your house, and, and people are starting to see a hybrid as a base powertrain. China's moving to that kind of you know regulatory requirement anyway. So you know we believe by modernizing our drivetrain, going to hybrid, innovating the hybrid powertrain beyond efficiency like ProPower on board. And, and really being in passion segments where the duty cycle is different than electric, you know, our ice business can really still grow. And, and so we will have facilities dedicated to, you know, hybrid powertrains. 
and, and top hats that are electric. I think on the EV side, what's probably different about us is that we don't really believe in the complexity of top hats in the digital product world. Like, if you want an iPhone, what does a premium iPhone look like? Does it look different? I mean, this addiction we have to spending capital just so the roof looks different. I mean, do we need 25 models? If you can make a plaid competitive with a Lamborghini, do you need a sports car silhouette? If your SUV is as fast as a Ferrari or Lamborghini or Ford GT? I mean, so our bet is a little bit different. We, we're not intoxicated with all these top hats. We want very broadly adopted vehicles that have very high volume, but we're not gonna spend a lot of money on complexity on body engineering. We, we'd rather do that with motors and software. Um, we'll go to segments that we really like, like three, three row crossovers and pickup trucks and you know that kind of stuff. We know those customers well, we can innovate them for them like ProPower on board um, first. But that part of our manufacturing system will probably look different than others. You go into Ford facility and our digital products and our zero emission products, they'll look, I think they're gonna look a lot com less complex than others. Not just the engineering of the model itself, but we're just not gonna have 25 models. Makes sense, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm sure we could listen to Jim all night. We've way blown over our time, yeah. uh, but thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jim Farley. Oh, okay. The 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 one thing I just want to say before I leave is how lucky we are that we're in an industry with an automotive news. Uh. Um, I really mean it. Like, yes, I read it with my grandparents, but like all of us, Monday morning, Sunday night, bring we. We start with our digital version. We find out what's going on, different perspectives. You know, I've learned a lot about our industry as a CEO, as much as I have anything. I am, I am so thankful for Automotive News and for what you guys do. You, we are really lucky to have Automotive News. I hope someone's recording this. Ford CEO Jim Farley spoke with publisher Casey Crane at this week's Automotive News Congress in Detroit. If you missed the first half of that conversation, you can go back and listen to yesterday's episode of Daily Drive. And if you couldn't make it to Automotive News Congress in Detroit, you can still get on-demand access to all of those conversations at autonews.com under the Events and Awards tab on our homepage. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Jake Neer in for Kellen Walker. Thanks to John Hutter and Carly Schaffner of Automotive News, as well as Dustin Walsh of Crane's Detroit Business for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on manufacturing, autonomous vehicles, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for our conversation with Stellantis North America COO Mark Stewart from Automotive News Congress in Detroit. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.